Hello, my name is Taylor Clement and I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Julie Schaffner, third grade teacher at Kirk Day School. Today's podcast, we'll be talking with Mrs. Schaffner, hearing about her life experiences as well, what motivates her at Kirk Day School and how long she's been here as a parent and a teacher. And remember, parents, our goal is to walk with you through issues and give tools and considerations in parenting topics that our students face each day. And Mrs. Schaffner has a world of wisdom and and knowledge in regards to this. And so we get to spend a little bit of time today. So Mrs. Schaffner, thanks for taking time out. Glad to be here. Thanks. So uh, here's what I would love to know just to start is just some of your personal history. I I know you as a church member. I know you as a coworker. You were also on the committee that hired me. So thank you for letting me be here. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. But where did you grow up? How did you come to faith? Let's, Let's start with those two. Right. Okay. Well, Taylor, I grew up in Northeast Iowa. Um, I was born and raised out in the country on a on a farm uh, with all that that brings to your mind. Yes, pigs and chickens and dairy cows and beef cattle and rolling hills of crops. And so that's where I grew up, just running around barefoot on the farm. And I had two older siblings and two younger siblings, which makes me the deprived middle child. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, not really. It was a wonderful place to grow up. I went to school at a, a public school in a small town nearby. I had 70 kids in my high school graduating class, so pretty rural, pretty small. Um, and what was the town name? Um, the town was named Dyke, Iowa. It's northeast near Waterloo. Um, how I came to faith one one way to answer that really is to say that it's been God reaching down to me all along the way to show himself to me so it's by his hand of mercy that I have come to faith I did grow up going to church uh, every morning every Sunday morning every Sunday night and so I heard the truth from God's Word very often in my life and had many great teachers who helped me understand that Um, But, again, that was by God's mercy and his work to sort of reach down and meet me where I was as a preteen, as a young adult, then as a new teacher. He uh, showed himself to me to be faithful all along the way. And then I'm going to come back to that a little bit later and ask kind of what in your preteen years, what in your adolescent years as well occurred, because I feel like now having that that wisdom that you do and having, you know, raised children, now you're a grandmother and you've you've got a whole lineage now to kind of think back on. When you left your hometown and you left the farm, um, (laughs) which I love saying, by the way, that's that's, that's (laughs) nice. Here would be my my next question, truthfully, and and that really goes back to to more of your history. Um, How did you and Jack meet? Where did you go to college? Right. Let's go there. Yes. Okay. So when I graduated from high school, I went to Dort College, which is in Sioux Center, Iowa. It is a Christian college affiliated with the Christian Reformed Church, which is the denomination that I grew up in. I received my teaching degree there, and heads of schools and principals would come to interview and recruit teachers. And a a pastor came from a church in Opelousas, Louisiana. He was, they they were starting a new Christian school there, and he was looking for teachers that were like-minded. I mean, teachers that understood about how to teach all subjects from a biblical perspective. So he... And what was the name of the school? 
It was called Westminster Christian Academy. Sounds familiar. In Opelousas, Louisiana. So I, I went there for my f- first teaching job. I had a combination class of second and third graders, four third graders, 16 second graders. I taught all my own music, all my own art, all my own PE. And I taught catechism and music for first through fifth graders. So it was a very busy time. Um, and. They were amazing to let me cut my teeth as a new teacher and um, take on so much responsibility. But it was in that time that I really began to understand about Christian education, what it felt like, what it really looked like uh, on a day-to-day basis. So. And where where in the boot is Opelousas? Um, the boot being central. Yeah. Okay, so you're in Cajun central. territory. Cajun territory. <laughs> Okay. Really so, Cajun territory. So, um, so I'm blonde and blue-eyed, and they are not. Correct. <laughs> so I didn't know anything about what Boudin was. Uh, there were lots of names on my class list that I that I really botched um, because they were French. Yeah. And so it, it was it was a delight. And while I was there, I met my husband, who actually grew up in St. Charles. He was there. Because now, before, before we go into that story, because I've heard a little bit of that before, I want to be very clear. What was the name of, of the town in Louisiana? <laughs> Opelousas. So the South has this proclivity to either take a European name and, and make it bad. So the state of Tennessee, there's Bonacqua, which should be Bonacqua, but it's Bonacqua. There's Santa Fe. Not Santa Fe. No way. There, there's Dresden instead of Dresden. There is my personal favorite. Instead of Milan, it's Milan, Tennessee. So there, <laughs> that, that, that's just be. in the state. That's just in the state. But then when you get further south, like into Louisiana and more in the, the bayou and the lowlands in the south, you get into what I call the uh, disease territory. And it's not because of what you can contract there. It's because all these small towns have disease-like names. So there's Andalusia, <laughs> Alabama. There's... Um, there's Opelaka. There's all sorts. Uh, one, one of our friends here at the Kirk actually went to Aniana High School. And so some of That's them, they're just hilarious. funny names. So that I, I bring that yes. up because there are a lot of funny names, especially yes. in Cajun yes. territory. Um, so it, it, was, it was quite a trip. It was a fun place to live. And um, so I did meet my husband there. He, he's from St. Charles, but was... It took a job there to work for Schlumberger Well Services. He worked as a geophysicist and was attending First Presbyterian Church, which was the church that was starting this school. So we met in church. There were, oh, probably three single young adults, and so we were often invited over to people's houses for lunch, <laughs> and it was um, kind of destiny, I guess. But it's the rest is history. We did. <laughs> We we did fall in love there and um, were married in that church in Opelousas. And um, I taught there for four years. Then his job took us to Houston, Texas. Uh, right before we moved to Houston, I became pregnant and determined that I was going to stop teaching or stop being in the classroom. We moved to Houston and we actually lost that baby to a miscarriage, which Mm. was a really hard thing in our new young life together. But the the people in our church came around us um, and people in our workplaces came around us. And again, God showed his mercy to us and his care for us along the way. 
before long, I um, became pregnant again and actually had four children in about five and a half years. And they, they all were born in Texas. And um, I stayed home to <laughs> be with them full time. And besides my four, I also did child care for after school children and some infants in my home and worked in children's ministry at our church. Uh, the church we were in started a Christian school and I was on the board to start that school and worked as librarian for that school and then my, our children began going to that school. Now not everyone that's in education loves to also volunteer their time to spend with children so this is really <laughs> interesting to me. Uh, I know when, when Katie and I were first married, they were like, oh, well, Taylor's a teacher, Katie's a teacher, so we're just going to throw them into children's ministry. Yes. And for Katie and I, we needed some distance at the yes. time. This is, of course, before we had our children of our own, which makes makes it a little easier. Um, what what would you say, were, did you always find yourself, even growing up in Iowa, did you always find yourself wanting to be around children and serve children? Or was this something that God just kind of unfolded to you as you got older? Right. I Well, my family structure was such that my younger brother and sister were seven and ten years younger than me, respectively. So I had some young children in my house, and it was fun for me to sort of take care of the babies when I was even a preteen. I did a lot of babysitting when I was um, a teenager and always loved that. I Right now I look back and I just feel like just, God just gave me experiences with children, and I'm always just so much more comfortable with children than I am working with adults. I So I see that as, as just God's calling, part of God's calling to affirm the fact that this is what feels right to me, but also then I had the education and I had the experience. So sort of the outer call and the inner call. So Jack's from St. Charles, you're in Houston, you have your four kids, you're a librarian, you're a, you're <laughs> a board member to help start a school. All of a sudden, Jack comes to you and says, hey, we're moving to St. Louis area. How did that go down, and what was your response? Yeah, right. Well, it was, it was more like this. His father, actually his grandfather, started a business in Berkeley called Schaffner Machine Company. So his grandfather ran it, and his father ran it. And in 1995, his father was um, really doing poorly with prostate cancer. And... We knew that the family business was always something that we might consider um, taking over, uh, jumping into, and we talked about it several times in those first 10 or 12 years of our married life and didn't feel like it was the right timing. But with his death being imminent and the fact that we were many miles away from both of our families, we decided to make the switch. Um, so it was, a, it was a joint decision <laughs> for us to come back and really a big part of it was knowing that there were good schools here and good churches for us that meant a lot to us in our decision. So we did make the switch in 95. We came looking for a school and I'd love to talk about how I found KDS. And I would love to hear it. That was my <laughs> next question. So shoot. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we found Kirk Day School because we were really looking for a very particular type of school. Um, after being schooled at a Christian college and then cutting my teeth in a Christian school, I, 
uh, and having many uh, wise scholars around me mentoring me about what Christian education looks like, I just really came to believe that a quality education would have certain elements to it. First of all, I thought, I knew that it is true that all things that we study in the world, all truth flows from the mind of God. All truth is God's truth. Amen. In Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So this implies that every curricular area is really under his dominion. And also it's connected because he is one God. So there should be a foundation that holds everything together. Um, listen, all schools know this to be true, that there needs to be a mission or a foundation that holds it together and everything flows from it. We say schools have a world view which drives them. I, I just really wanted my children to be reminded every day and in every subject that this science, this grammar, this math, this history lesson, all of this belongs to the Lord and teaches us something about Him, really shows us His glory and His majesty on the earth and His love for us in giving it to us. So I was looking for a school that would do that. Um, can I give you an example? Yeah, but what, I feel like, have you ever found that school? Because, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, okay. So to just give an example. By the, by the way, people wonder how a Southern boy was pulled out of the, the South and um, a family lineage of Nashville like I was. And part of this, listeners, is because of what you're hearing now with Julie Schaffner. So, so we need to make that, that uh, duly aware oh. because of this. So I, I love the way that you phrase it, but please continue. Well, um, just an example to put a little meat on the bones of this. Let's just pretend that we're doing a lesson, that I'm doing a lesson in my classroom on earthquakes. And so we begin to talk about how the earth is made up, right? It has a core and it has a mantle and it has a crust on the outside and the crust can actually move and slide over each other, creating an earthquake. Well, that's some information that could be shared at any school. At Kirk Day School, what I'm thankful for is that, well, an earthquake can evoke fear in a child. Um, what can happen to me if I'm in an earthquake? And how can I escape an earthquake? What I'm grateful for is that I can say to my children, this is, this is, this is true. We are afraid of the unknown, and there are things to be afraid of. But we also know that God made the earth. He understands how it's put together, and he loves us with an everlasting and steadfast love. So this is what's true about God. We know that he also keeps his promises to us, promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you, from Hebrews 13. So while the earthquake and the facts about the earth are true, um, being able to minister to a child and to reach him on all levels and talk to him about what God has to say about this issue, that's this kind of school that I wanted my children in. Mm. Um, of course, I also wanted a school that had an excellent academic education. Um, but here again, I knew if the leadership was committed to prayer for guidance and looking to God's word for direction on every decision, 
then I really could put my trust in the Lord to be helping the individuals um, to, to do what he was calling them to. And so I knew then that it would be an edu- excellent education. Um, there's more. Please. I really, <laughs> I was looking for a school where the teachers understood that good teaching is really discipleship. Uh, what I mean is, some people just think that teaching is delivering information, the sage on the stage model. Yeah. Yeah. But while getting some information is important, what I think is really better for children is that they learn how to live life together, um, learning about how life can be really whole as we are um, flourishing under God's direction. And so what I like to say is that my classroom is one long conversation from August to May, where we are sharing life together, walking together. Um, So a text that has been kind of guiding me as a teacher through my career is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses is talking to the Israelites and encouraging them to remember what God has done for them and to share it with their children. And he said, this is, this is the way you do it. You do it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So in other words, all the time, all day long, all day long, whatever comes up, we're just seeing what the situation, you know, what the, what opportunity there is for us to learn about the Lord through this situation, glorify God through this situation. So, um, I found all that <laughs> at Kirk Day School when I came looking for schools. We really chose a school before we chose a house um, because I wanted that foundation to be in place for my children as they grew. Um, and And by the way, it is still here at Kirk Day School, um, which is why I love being here. Let's let's go to that for a second. So one, I love hearing that, and I love hearing not only how you chose it, but you've been such a foundational piece of KDS because it was started in 1992. So if you're coming around 1995, I guess your, your kid's first year here was 96, is that correct? My kid's first year here was 95. Okay. Uh, I still had a four-year-old at home, and so I stayed with them, stayed with her at home, and during that year, I um, I got to know Sue Pitzer, who was a former head of school, and she discovered that I had been a teacher. Head of they, school emeritus, mind they, you. That's right. <laughs> they had they had some openings that were coming up in '96, and so she actually approached me and asked if I would be interested in uh, um, being interviewed. And and were you interviewed for third grade? Um, I was interviewed for a position at Kirk Day School and was assigned to third grade. But I do love third grade. Yeah. Going from 1995, where I have several friends uh, who are either parents in the school or I may know them through church and I pull out their yearbook photos, take a picture of them, text it to them just to embarrass them uh, and remind them that I have that in file. How have you seen the school change, both positive and negatively? How have you seen it stay the same, both positively and negatively? So just kind of drive that, um, especially maybe in more recent years. Obviously in 1995, 
Right. I would, you know, internet's still still new. Uh, yeah, Netscape right. is is still trying to take over the world with its with its dial-up internet. Uh, so, you know, that's a vastly that's different world <laughs> when we think about 1995 <laughs> than it, when we think about it today. So, yeah, talk talk about right. the changes. Well, um, uh, of course, changes in technology um, ha have been huge. What is the same are some of the things that I was talking about, about what our foundation is at Kirk Day School. Still, our foundation is to seek God's will and to read God's word and to pray for God's direction for each decision. That is the same. Um, that's what holds us together. That's what our mission statement flows from. So that's the same. Well, the, the details of things like, yes, when I first came here, we did not even have a telephone in our room, let alone <coughs> the internet. So, um, uh, of course, technology has changed. I guess one big thing that I've been noticing in the last few years that's related to technology, where, of course, our children and our families have access to so much information, you know, so many words, so many words, <laughs> the, the speed of advertisement and quick-witted entertainment and just all the choices of the things that they can watch and listen to and then imitate because what children see they imitate what they hear they imitate and just the number of words that has uh, filled their minds and then also that's connected to their hearts transformed their hearts one one thing that I see changing is just how that has how that's affecting relationships uh, in the classroom from teacher to student in the classroom from student to student even between teacher and parent. I was just reflecting on a text as I was thinking about this podcast from Proverbs 10 that says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. So that's words have the power to heal or to hurt. And so a care with words, I think, um, co coming to grips with how this is part of our reflection as image bearer of God, that God has shared himself with us through words. He has spoken through um, nature, but also through, his, through the Bible, especially, of who he is, and his words are all true, and his words are all perfect, and as we bear his image, taking care with our words, using our words wisely, using our words with care, using our words properly, using good grammar and using good words when we're writing um, is a way for us to show love for the people around us. If we are flippant or careless with words, all those words <laughs> that are out there, uh, that there's just a danger there. And so I have spent a lot more time, I feel like in the last, I'm going to go with 15 years, a lot more time just talking about how our words affect one another and how that, how we uh, bear God's image with our words and to just be careful with that. In going to, to words, you're, you're not necessarily just talking about vile or foul language. 
it sounds like you're right. talking about just I would almost say one our children are immature uh, the, the last podcast that we just released uh, Maria Massey and I talked about the invisible man what it, what happens when kids do or say bad things when a teacher's not around and what does that reflect on their heart and right. I'm, I'm hearing more of that uh, and, and germane to this conversation one of the things that I've seen especially with with teenagers and high schoolers is the the show friends I'll use them as an example there's mm-hmm. been a resurgence of that show well if you're watching that show as an adult you might be able to watch a couple of episodes on Netflix you might be doing chores around the house and it just plays it's, it's not a big deal to us as adults but to a child you might have in the 90s gotten two episodes back to back on TBS and then that was it you right. have to wait till the next day if it was to be continued in the second half so be it you have to wait Right. Now kids can binge watch it all Saturday if they go unmonitored and they can watch 16 episodes of what I would say is adult content for yes. the most part because they are adult lives in the city and they're single and they're young and they're, so right. there's a lot of content right. that surrounds that. Now going to our children, I feel like our children can watch shows and we, we've talked a lot about media and I do feel like it's such, such an impactful topic. I'm hearing you say hey, our kids are kind of doing the same thing. There, there's a lot of things that they're exposed to, and they're going to mimic, they're going to imitate. So even if it's Curious George, or it could be something, something you know, a little more like a, uh, and I'm, I'm using a terrible example here, but Hannah Montana, when it was, when it was popular, yes. all of a sudden we, we can imitate that quick-wittedness. We can imitate maybe the, the disrespect that, that has become culturalized yes. in a lot of those preteen shows. And I, I hear you say, and sorry for the diatribe, I'm seeing more of that. Well, it has an effect. What we put into our ears and put into our eyes um, has an effect. And so I just like to encourage my students to be careful and to be in, in all things just considering self-control as a fruit of the Spirit that... Um, pertains to the way we use our mouth and the way we use our hands and the way we actually think about things that we do need um, self-control in that area and that God offers us help with that through his spirit. So third grade is, is so interesting because you go really from that learning to read to reading to learn you go yes. through that shift, and as you're as you're saying these things, our kids are, yeah, they're they're learning how to learn, they're learning how to read and then read to learn. Where would you say socially and through discipleship of our children, and we do want to disciple our children to Jesus Christ. It's in our mission statement. What advice would you give to parents? And and you can be broad sweeping, but you're seeing these changes. You're seeing new challenges come to you each and every year. What advice would you give to parents as they look at the broader sweep of saying, hey, I've got Ms. Schaffner, and Mrs. Schaffner would say, this might be something to consider or think about, especially if you're talking about self-control. Right. Well, every child is unique, of course, and so every situation is unique. And I, uh, I know that at some point we want to talk about the partnership between parents and teachers Um, between the home and the school and what that looks like. But what advice I would give to parents 
to, chill, to uh, just about self-control. So let's just say their child is struggling socially or perhaps they're struggling academically or they're, or they're succeeding academically. Uh, uh, all of a child's choices feed into that. Last segment here, I would love to talk about partnership. I feel like we, we are seeing a shift in the way Christian education has to be marketed. We see a shift in the way Christian education um, has even evolved over the past few years. And some of that is due to markets, some of that is due to, to populations, etc. But it has to be a partnership. It does not work without it being a partnership. That's a partnership academically, that's a partnership socially, that's a partnership discipline and discipleship. So can you just talk about what that partnership needs to look like, just in general, and, and I'll, I'll let you lead that, but what do you see as a partnership between parent and teacher, parent and school? Yes. Uh, as a teacher, I really see myself as being the parent in the classroom throughout the day. Uh, I was taught in my education classes that the teacher is in loco parentis, which means in place of the parents. and so. I really need to hear from my parents um, at the beginning of a year especially so that I get to know that student. I, I'm going to say that partnership really looks like, first of all, a lot of communication, a lot of communication, really listening to each other, hearing what each other says with an open heart and mind, communicating with humility. As I said, I really count on my parents to help me understand the child. They are certainly the experts when they come into my room about what their child has been dealing with in the past, what their academic needs are, what their social needs have been. Yes, I have some experience with knowing how to teach a third grader to multiply, and so I um, would, would love to see respect for that, for that, but I also humbly listen to my parents and need to know from them. Um, who their child is. I, um, I think that partnership looks like also a lot of prayer uh, for the Lord to, to guide us and to give us discernment together as we try to have the best year we can together. I think partnership looks like keeping the mission in mind, uh, really, that we are both walking in the same direction, that we are both doing the best we can <laughs> under the leadership of God's Word as our guide. I, I'd like to say a word about our churches for a second. Please. That our churches can really help to nurture a child in his or her understanding of what worship looks like. And that reminds them each week that Jesus is really worthy of our worship, really worthy of our self-control, worthy of our love for the people around us. And so as we worship, it keeps our priorities set as we go about our daily lives. Um, I just think that church attendance is an important component of a child's growth. But I also want to say that I think partnership looks like trust um, and respect for one another trust that we both have the child's best interest in mind, trust that we both have good goals for these children, 
also trust in the Lord and that he is doing a good work. Mm. So as as our uh, I know it is very hard for a family when a child struggles academically. Um, it's a different kind of hardship when a child is academically successful. It's a, it's a I don't know if it sounds like a hardship, but it it's a different kind of struggle and it's hard on a family when a child is struggling socially. But what I have learned along the way as a parent and as a teacher is that it is it is more helpful to ask myself the right questions. Um, so for example, instead of asking myself, what is it about my parenting that will help my child succeed? What can I do as a parent that will help the child through this struggle? Instead of asking, what is it about my parenting or what is it about me that will help my child succeed? I've learned to ask the question instead, what is it about God that will help me with this situation? In, in most cases, it is helpful to just remember that these things are true um, that I heard from a theologian friend, Donald Guthrie, say, always remember that God knows and God cares and God has the power to do something about it. And mm. so God knows about your child's struggles and he knows the end from the beginning, by the way. So he knows where your child is headed in the future. Um, this social struggle may pass very quickly and God knows what he wants your child to learn in it. So trusting him that he knows he cares and loves our children more than we do. And so he has, um, and he has the power to do something about it. He has power to change their hearts. He has power to change the heart of the other child in the classroom that might seem like they're sort of a stinker and making your life miserable. It is helpful to also know that God cares for all the individuals in the classroom. I, I talk to my students all the time and say things like this. It is not a mistake or an accident that you are in this classroom with these children today in 2019. This is God's eternal plan from the beginning of time. It's not a mistake that you have the sister you have or that you have the brother you have. That is God's perfect plan for you. And so uh, what can we what can we learn about what God is teaching us right now? What can we learn from this experience? What can we learn from this individual that's in the room? Because they might have gifts that I don't have, or they, um, they have something to teach me that I might not be ready to learn right now. So I just was looking through our website, and I found this quote that I thought was great that Kirk Day School says that as our covenant children grow in their understanding of who they are in God's world, namely bearing God's image, yes a sinner, but if they understand who they are in God's world and as they learn the truth of God's word and his call for them to be his disciples, they will indeed impact his world as true servants. So advice I would give to parents um, about partnership is let's band together to pray and to work for the good of all that are in our in our midst here at Kirk Day School. I think that's what partnership looks like. And I feel like 
in the midst of it, though, I'm, I'm hearing you also say humility. Yes. Uh, one of the things that we've driven home with the sixth graders this year is Micah 6 8. Uh, you know, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God? And uh, so that justice, mercy, humility piece is, is huge. But I feel like when it comes to children, children will do two things they will A, humble you quickly of what mm-hmm. you do not have. Um, either in the, the terms of resources or though they will remind you what you do not have physically or et cetera. They, they compare, they do things yes. all the time uh, despite their age. But then they, they remind you of what you don't have and your ability to parent at times as well. I know our, our toughest hours, at least currently, are 5 to 6 o'clock, the witching oh, yes. hour. Yes. Which is, as some folks say, is an Four insult to, to seven witches. is the yeah. way my children were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're right. The parents, they are the experts of their children. We get them in a very different light, and sometimes we have to be an expert of when they're in our care. But as the mm-hmm. whole child, who we want to educate, I, th- I think that is having that humility and coming together with that is is wonderful. So, Julie, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, investing in Kirk Day School, and uh, grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. And parents, we'll be back with more. So keep sending ideas and anything else you would love to hear, either more teacher spotlights as well. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening and we'll see you soon.